Welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Today, we have a unique privilege. We have somebody from outside the grouping that we typically have, which is to say judges and lawyers and that sort of thing. We have Lisa Kaplan, who is a social worker who works with the Maryland State Bar Association. Welcome to the program, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. As always, any of the opinions that are offered on this show are not intended to constitute legal advice. If you need a legal opinion, make sure that you contact a lawyer and acquaint them with all of the facts underlying your case. And also any of the opinions or thoughts are not those of Howard County Community College, its professors, its employees, its students, or its administrators. And with that said, let's dive into what Lisa Kaplan does and why it's something of great importance. So what is it that you do? What is it that I do? I do a lot of things. I am the director of the Maryland Lawyer Assistance Program. I was promoted April Fool's Day in the middle of COVID. I've been here 11 years. It's been a wild ride. I've been here 11 years and my director retired at the end of March. So I took over at a time that's been very challenging, but also um, very rewarding. So the Lawyer Assistance Program, it's a free confidential counseling program for lawyers, judges, and law school students for any kind of personal issues. It goes back 41 years and started out as a substance abuse program, but we are no longer just a substance abuse program. We deal with anything from mental health to stress to people who want to just improve their wellness. It's a free program and we cover lawyers. Now we cover lawyers no matter where they're practicing, even if they are practicing outside of the state. A lot of people are working virtually and we can cover them. They can have assessment, referral, short-term counseling. And we also have a fund that is available to help pay for treatment if they need it for substance abuse and for mental health, which has been huge since we've had a lot of people who have had financial issues during this time. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I do. I also do all the health and wellness for the Maryland State Bar. And I was telling you earlier, I did 51 presentations over 2020. That's just amazing. Yeah, it's uh, everything from health and wellness to just doing orientations, to working with the law schools, to the public defenders, basically anything in the legal community. I go out and I'll talk about health and wellness and recently about the pandemic and kind of how to maintain some kind of resiliency during this time. Not an easy feat. No, you know, we just, this is new to everybody. We have layers and layers of stress in 2020 that I think we didn't expect, we had the pandemic and then one thing after another and the pandemic just puts a layer of stress on everybody in day-to-day -day activities that we used to take for granted, like going to the grocery store and getting your mail and pumping gas and how you're gonna stay safe through all of that. And I think I was telling you earlier, this is as new for me as it is for anyone else. So I've tried to find self-care techniques that have been helpful. And honestly, I started using my meditation app right in the beginning of this feeling like, okay, I need something to stay grounded and it's been great. So I, I've been doing that on a daily basis. And I try to, what I suggest to other people is I try to do myself. I try to kind of live what I talk about to try to stay as healthy as possible. So do you network with other people in your particular line of work at other state bar associations? I do. Every state has a lawyer assistance program, but they're all very different. Ours comes under the Maryland State Bar. DC comes under the Maryland State Bar. But Pennsylvania does not. It comes under their court system. So we all have the same goal in mind. And honestly, we save lives every day, but we're all run a little bit differently. And uh, Maryland's is very, very extensive. It's because we have the short-term counseling assessment. We have 
volunteers who are lawyers and judges throughout the state that act as mentors. And um, although you don't have to be a Maryland State Bar member, we would love for everybody to be a member because it helps to pay for her for the program. Sure. So what brought you to this particular career choice? That is a good question. I specialized in employee assistance programs in graduate school. And then my first job out of school was working for a contractor who ran the federal employee assistance program for, uh, and I was responsible for about six states. So I kind of jumped right into working with lawyers. I also, my father was a lawyer. My father was a judge, but really I didn't go into it thinking I want to work with lawyers. And I really like working with substance abuse. And that's kind of what I needed to learn in order to actually go into EAP, the employee assistance programs. So and I like working with lawyers now who are in recovery and also who are working to get into recovery. So it's, uh, it's an interesting, different population. I find them very creative and very type A personality. Lawyers? Lawyers, yeah. Very, it, it's a great field, but I work with the law school students, so I see it all the way from the, the 1Ls all the way through people who are retiring at this point. Lawyers are really hard on themselves. They're very, very hard on themselves. You know, you make a mistake and it, it seems like it's life-ending. And... Um, so it's really important for Lloyd. We work a lot on speaking kindly to yourself like you would a friend and not talking to yourself in such a critical way. And I find that with lawyers is they really, really beat themselves up when they make a mistake. Mistakes are inevitable in this profession. I think mistakes are, yeah, there are mistakes in your life. You just have to kind of learn to manage them, move on and learn from them and keep on going. I have an apocryphal phrase that I often utter to lawyers who've made mistakes or people who are concerned. And that is, I have never learned a thing in the law in almost 40 years of being a lawyer when I did something correctly. It's only when I screwed it up or I came within a hair's breadth of making a mistake that I learned something that was indelibly imprinted on my brain. Yep, and that's a kind of a form of resiliency is that we learn when we have bumps in the road and we either move forward in a healthy way or we get stuck. So when we can look at how to make changes in a healthy way, then that's part of resiliency. And I think that is what everybody is dealing with now is we have constant changes. And I think we're in 2021, but we're still, this is a process and we're still moving forward. And we're still, I think, gonna have some struggles in managing the pandemic and everything else that's going on. So does the judiciary consult with you guys about how to handle things? Because there's been, and I'm not being critical of the judiciary, it's an un unprecedented problem, but there's been the, oh, we're going to open things up on March such and such, or we'll open it, then it's June, then it's July. And of course, we're not only dealing with doing the work in this haphazard way, but we have clients who are very often impecunious and are in a situation where they're desperate to have their case go to trial. And I just wondered whether it would seem to me your input would be very valuable in the best ways to deal with these things. My input with the judiciary is more around specific lawyers and if they see somebody who is having a mental health or substance abuse issue, you can refer to the lawyer assistance program and it's completely confidential and it can be completely anonymous. So I work with them around those kind of issues. I don't work with them on the larger issues of courts and, and what to do as far as that goes. But as far as anything health and wellness, I've spoken before the judiciary and anything that has to do with trying to help lawyers who are in trouble. We've seen a lot of that and we've had, a, I've had a lot of calls from judges on how to manage that and how to get somebody help who they can clearly tell is having a problem. Sure. I would imagine, and this is one of the questions I kind of wrote down, that there's been an increase in the need for services in the last year. 
You know, it's interesting. When it first happened, everybody kind of stalled out a little bit with their cases. Everybody was in survival mode. So it was kind of like you're being dropped on a deserted island. And the first thing you're trying to do is find food and shelter. And you're not really worrying about your mental health at that point. And then all of a sudden people felt like we were kind of in this for a while. And then we started to see a lot of mental health, a lot of substance abuse. I put four people in treatment in one day. And that was, yeah, that was a lot. We also used our fund that we have, the Bait Vincent Fund, to be able to help pay for that treatment and help people. So yeah, I have seen more actually mental health right now. We're seeing a lot more mental health right now. Substance abuse is right there. And then stress, dealing with the pandemic, dealing with the change. I ran a support group for a while and that was really, that was interesting. We had, uh, it was a small group, but we had lawyers come on who would talk about kind of day to day what's going on and how to manage it. The loneliness, people in private practice trying to decide, well, do I stay working remote, which is lonely, or do, which solo practice and small firm can be lonely anyways? Sure. Do, uh, do I go back to my office? You know, just really kind of day to day how to manage their practices and, and dealing with law firms on kind of how to handle the, men, the working remote and how to handle the health and wellness. And I've been doing a lot of trainees kind of across the board on all of that. And be easy on you. No, and people ask that. And actually, I usually start off my trainings talking about what I've done because we've never, you know, unless you're 100 years old, you've never dealt with a pandemic like this. And typically when I have a client in crisis, I'm not also dealing with a national pandemic and, you know, dealing with a pandemic that is just impacting everybody. So I started off viewing my meditation app on a daily basis. I exercise on a regular basis. I get outside. I do all those things that I really suggest to other people to kind of find your niche of what works for you. And so we were talking earlier about lawyers' personalities being sort of type AE often. And I just wonder about their willingness, if it's not something they're contacting you and saying, I'm having an issue, but somebody else is a judge, a fellow member of the bar, a family member, how cooperative are they about such things? Usually vary because a lot of times we reach out to them by letter or email. And again, it's completely anonymous for the person who's actually calling it in and it doesn't get them in trouble. It doesn't go anywhere other than to me. Usually they will call and honestly, they're kind of upset who referred them and they're kind of ranting and raving. And, and then it, they calm down. They like, you know what? I do need help. And I'm glad somebody, I've had people say, you know, I'm glad somebody actually called in and said that they were concerned. And it's nice to know people are concerned because I actually do need help. And at that point, we can then get down to, okay, what's going on and how can I help? How honest do they prove to be about such things? Well, we're talking about substance abuse. I usually multiply it by two, no matter what people tell me. If they're drinking and they're drinking two drinks, I often have to ask, you know, how big are those drinks? Are we talking about, you know, their idea of one drink and my idea of one drink is probably very different. So it, it, mental health people tend to, to talk more openly. I think if there's... A lot, of, a lot of stigma and a lot of shame. So I think once somebody feels comfortable, they'll start talking about it. But with substance abuse, that's just part of addiction. If I can get them into treatment, then I don't have to worry about what they're telling me. I'll let the treatment center deal with that and help so them. Is that still the number one thing that you encounter? No, it's really mental health. Is Right okay. now, it's, mental health is actually higher than substance abuse. Now, do you think that's a function of the COVID environment or what do you think that is? When we started, when I came on, it was very much a substance abuse program and then became much more broad brush. Once we started advertising that, we started seeing a lot more of the mental health. 
people started realizing. And honestly, people still seem to think that it's a substance abuse program and just an alcoholism program. And that's one message I'd like to get out is that it is not. It's a very broad brush program and it's nice not to reinvent the wheel if someone has a problem. I know a lot of the resources, they don't have to try to navigate their insurance. I can help them do that. And they're very busy, so I can help them with resources that they may not even know exist. You always know you wanted to be a social worker, or how, how did you choose that channel? No, I wanted to be a veterinarian, actually. Ah. It's funny because my daughter's starting vet school in the fall. No, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And unlike my daughter, I, math and science was not something that really uh, I really did well in. And then my aunt had told me about the social work program that specialized in employee assistance programs which is counseling in the workplace. So it's very okay. similar to lawyer assistance. And I sure. thought that sounds really cool. So I went and I really like it because I like the business side. I like the clinical side. And that's how I ended up here. And then I ended up working with lawyers kind of right off the bat for DC running the federal lawyers employee assistance program for a contractor they had. So I was responsible for about six states. So I kind wow. of, and my father was a lawyer and my father was a judge and I've been around lawyers and judges all my life. So it kind of just worked out. My children have had vast lawyer exposure in their lifetimes. And my wife and I are both lawyers and seemingly all of our friends are law school colleagues and that kind of thing. So You need to diversify a little bit. You need to diversify your friends just a little bit. <laughs> They're techies, so it's better. That's good. <laughs> so kind of lead me through the process that you typically encounter of somebody contacts you, what you do, what they do, how it goes, and maybe bring it around to how it typically ends, if you have a sense of that. It's always different. Somebody will call and they're talk about what's going on. I had one person call one day, literally started the conversation saying, I'm done. And I was like, okay, well, tell me what's going on. So basically the person was just kind of burnt out on what they were doing. At that point, I made a referral for them to talk with somebody on career counseling, and I talked them through kind of coming up with a plan. They came up with a plan and turned it around and doing great. Sometimes I get a call with substance abuse and this would happen even before we were virtual is I get a phone call. And um, that person wouldn't, I wouldn't actually necessarily see them in person. If they're calling in a crisis, I get them into treatment right away. So when that happens, that can come through our committee members. It can come through our volunteers that somebody's concerned about somebody. They call and we get them into treatment right away. And I follow them through that treatment. And then I also make sure that they're connected afterwards and check in and see how they're doing. And some people call up, I hear law, talk to law school students all the time. I just finished doing office hours, virtual office hours where I open it up for kind of mini sessions. And I see a bunch of law school students that call in about stress. So it's always different. It's very hard to say what it's gonna look like because you kind of just go with the flow and. Sometimes I literally, when I was in the office, they would just show up. And if I you know, was able to see them, sometimes they come in for an appointment. It really just depends on the situation. And being a clinician, especially somebody who deals with a lot of trauma and crisis situations, you kind of have to just go with the flow, be flexible. It sounds stressful to me. I find it, it's going to sound like a bad word. I find it kind of fun. It, it really keeps me thinking. And I think that's why I like lawyers is because they tend to think very quickly and they tend to process very quickly. And when you have a crisis situation, you have to figure out very quickly what you're gonna do, how you're gonna handle it, and how you're gonna get that person safe. So I've always kind of found that I really like and thrive in situations like that. Well, thank God you have that ability. <laughs> you know? I think it would be very hard. I also 
do talk with other lawyer assistance programs around the, the state. I talk with some of my friends who are working in those programs and we support each other. I have friends that are clinicians. So I do get a lot of support to make sure that I'm handling things and managing things. Cause yes, you can get what's called compassion fatigue from dealing with a lot of very difficult situations and hearing difficult situations over and over again. So I take from what you say that there isn't any particular typical age group or branch of the law or law students versus judges versus personal injury lawyers or something that is particularly susceptible to problems. I've seen it all. I've seen it across the board. I've seen it all. You know, I think lawyers that deal with family issues, divorce issues, I think anytime I see that public defenders, because they're often dealing with so many difficult issues and they often are dealing with issues that they actually don't deal with. So they see the legal issues, but then they have somebody who comes in who is maybe homeless or they have family issues. So I work with a lot of the public defenders and I, I train their public defenders twice a year with their new public defenders that come in. So they can just get just a little bit of health and wellness. So I see a lot of that, but really across the board, I see, we see all ages. We see just basically everybody who needs assistance kind of comes in the door. Gender descriptors too, I presume? I'm sorry? I said all gender descriptors too? Yes, absolutely, yeah. So we're just, we're seeing, and seeing a lot more and more. People are feeling more comfortable coming in. And yeah, so we are, I pretty much see everything. I kind of see it across the board. I see everything from family issues to financial issues, substance abuse, mental health, stress, people who just want to have more health and wellness, more balance. And just really anything, anything that they're dealing with. So I gather that you're not doing this so much in person anymore, but that it's mostly virtual. Is that- yeah, it's all virtual now. And yeah, I mean, it's all virtual. I'm, I'm working out of my home office rather than my work office. I'm doing all the trainings virtually at this point. And I think we were talking before about how it's opened it up to people who can't get in person. And it's made it really nice for like our committee members to be able to come to meetings a lot easier it's made it more accessible and I can do more trainings in, in a day if I need to, because I'm not traveling around. So in that way, virtually has definitely opened up a whole new way of operating. Do you do things differently as a result? It's harder to connect with people virtually than it is in person when you're doing a training. Not really clinically because I've saved lives on the phone forever when people call up in there in crisis. But when you're trying to connect with a group, you never know if they're looking at their phones. When they're in person, I tell them to put their computers away, put their phones away, take time for themselves. I can tell them that virtually, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they're doing. So when I'm working with a law school class, you know, I don't know if they're paying attention or not, but I put a lot of questions out there and I ask them to take themselves off mute and I ask them to use the chat box. So I try to keep them engaged as much as possible. I would imagine that getting feedback is simultaneously easier and harder doing it virtually. Doing a training? Yeah, getting feedback on what they're learning, what they're taking away from what you say, how they've used it, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's a little bit harder virtually. Sometimes I'll put at the end of the training, I'll have everybody say, what, what's one thing they walked away with? What's one thing that they learned? And I'll have them put that in the chat. And then we'll kind of go through the chat. It's also technically it's hard to be doing a training and then be looking at the chat at the same time. So it also, I I typically will have somebody else with me. You get medium and long-term feedback on both your trainings 
in on your, what I'll call interventions for lack of a better term? I do, as far as doing um, like research, I've started putting together research now. We have not done a lot of that in the past, but I'm starting to look at that a lot more now. Now that the director, I'm starting to look at our research because of confidentiality, I have to be careful about like reaching out to people unless they would wanna be reached out to. But as far as trainings go, I know from doing trainings with the public defenders for probably about 10 years, that it definitely makes an impact in their employees and helps them. And then it's a good, it opens the door to have that continue that conversation with them. So do you find the public defenders are more concerned about their own mental health or that of their clients or is it a mix? I think they're probably concerned, like lawyers, most lawyers, they're concerned about the other person's mental health and sometimes they forget about their own. And I think it definitely opens the door for them to realize I need to take care of myself. There's a lot of compassion fatigue with public defenders because of what they do, the horrific stories they're hearing all the time. And I think they need to be reminded on a very, very regular basis that they need to take care of their mental health you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. At some point, you're going to hit a wall, you're not going to be able to do your job, and you're going to be overwhelmed and not be able to maintain that for really very long. So stepping away from the law a little bit, because we're ostensibly addressing Howard County Community, Community College students and the faculty and, and the employees and, and, and the parents and families, do you have ways that you suggest people go about recognizing when they're in a stressful situation that probably requires some professional assistance, but that's not quite there yet? Absolutely. My thought is always, if you're asking yourself if you have a problem, you have a problem or you have a concern. So if you're saying to yourself, do I need to be worried about this? Do I need to be concerned about how I'm feeling? Then typically, yes, it's at least a conversation you probably want to have with somebody or at least take out a piece of paper, start writing down what you're concerned about and seeing if it's something that you're, depending on what it is, if it's substance abuse, if you're asking yourself if you're drinking too much or using drugs or certain behaviors, then probably yes, the answer is yes. If it's more mental health and you're asking yourself, am I feeling depressed? Then sometimes you need to explore a little bit what that means, what that looks like. And at that point, the sooner you get help, the better. Things don't typically get better by themselves. Being proactive, it's takes courage to reach out and to say, look, I need some help. And I think we're all realizing that with the pandemic is that we do need to reach out and we need to stay connected with people in a healthy way. And I think that that's the big thing is that if you're asking yourself if something's going on, then something's probably going on. I mean, that's kind of the audience we've got is their students who are now confined to their homes, you know, trying to, you know, often struggle with difficult courses, not having in-person meeting with TAs or professors, not able to really get in-person support. Do you have suggestions for things that they might consider doing to kind of help themselves? I think on the health and wellness side of it, I think one of the things that we can all do is watch the amount of information that we're getting and not inundating ourselves with tons of information. We get information from our computers, from our cell phones, from social media, and to really take a step back and look at how much information you need, how much time you should be watching TV or watching your computer. And if you're recognizing what is going on in your body, if you feel that you're getting anxious about that, I work with a lot of law school students and there's a lot of anxiety. If you feel like you're getting anxious, then that's time to turn it off, to set a timer on the amount of information that you're getting and watch the social media. I've had a lot of law school students and a lot of younger people say to me, they feel pressure in different directions to think a certain way, behave a certain way, and what they need to do. And we've talked about taking a break from some of those social media feeds and, and getting off of some of those platforms and quieting their mind a lot. It's really important to kind of quiet that chatter in your mind and really go back to the basics. It's really going back to your self-care basics of 
eating healthy, sleeping, getting outside, exercising, and taking a step back so that we're not overwhelmed. And I, and I have one in college and it's, you know, really connecting with people that are healthy for you to connect with, you know, connect with people who are moving forward in a healthy way. I mean, I, one of the questions, and I, it's a larger question than I suppose we can really answer here, is whether law school itself is inherently unduly stressful by its nature. In other words, having gone through the process, I'm sort of more a happy-go-lucky guy, so I wasn't as stressed out as my roommates, for example. But it's still just a tremendous burden and a lot of pressure, and the, the Socratic method and all that sort of stuff seems designed to squeeze you more than may be necessary. Yeah, that's a conversation we could have for a week, probably, or a month or a year. Yes, law school is very, very stressful and typically have very smart people coming to law school who haven't really had to work probably real hard to get their good grades. And then they come to law school and it's a totally different situation. So yes, I think that law school, by the way that it's set up, is set up and very, very stressful. And we have been working across the country to try to look at the culture of health and wellness within the legal profession and look at that from the law school perspective. I don't know if, if that's going to be changed, it's going to be changed at a higher level than, than myself. But I think that it's something to kind of look at because law school lawyers have a higher rate of mental health and substance abuse than a lot of professions out there. And there was a study in 2016 that was done. So it definitely does. And lawyers definitely deal with mental health and the suicide rate is high. So there's definitely that something happens right at the start and it just continues. And we're trying to work on changing that. I'm kind of inclined to get hold of the deans of UB and University of Maryland Law School and get them on the program with you sometime to kind of kick things around. But I mean, cause you're dealing with it day to day from you know nascent law students through people who are retiring and through judges. And so you have a big picture that no offense to the deans, but they really can't have attained. Yeah, I mean, I think that taking a holistic approach to kind of looking at what's going on with the law schools would be really helpful. There are some health and wellness task force out there that work with them. Uh, there are deans within the schools that are very supportive of mental health and, and try to do their part in getting that information out to the students. And I think that it's actually a much bigger picture of, I think that they need to look at it from the law schools just generally, rather than just Maryland or Baltimore. I think all the law schools need to kind of look at what is going on and how, if they are contributing to the, the mental health and substance abuse culture of lawyers, just in general, if, if anything can be changed and look kind of from the top down. Well, I mean, that's the, it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing. Is law school has this, you know, you have, you, you call the best students from colleges, the most motivated, the most type A ones, and you stick them in this competitive environment where the top 10% of the class gets the best jobs and the best judicial clerkships. And it seems sort of inevitable that that's going to result in an enormously stressful cauldron for people to, to be in. And I just, I'm not sure that I think that's healthy. And I think it also sort of imbues the profession with this culture from the get-go. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it, it definitely contributes and it definitely puts the students in a difficult place. And I think it also is personality. You said that you are a little easier going, I think, depending on you know, what your personality, a lot of them are type A, some people are not, but they come in and they're a lot easier going. Uh, but law school just kind of revs that up. People will say that they went in one way and came out another. So it's something that definitely needs to be looked at across the board. I think it's a great profession. It's a very rewarding profession, but I think that it, it is definitely, you need some really good solid self-care before you go into law school and 
and deal with the competitiveness and, and everything else that it has. I don't want to discourage our audience from going to law school because I've enjoyed being yeah. You really can do some things. I mean, you know, you can actually make money, but it also, there is the opportunity to do community good in a way through the law that many other professions simply don't have. Yeah, absolutely. Oh no, law school is a great place. Being an attorney is a great place, is, is a great profession, but it definitely does have its stressors. And, you know, I think the difference is, and I would use this to say what I would teach, I would say that um, medical students have a really stressful time too. Sure. But when a doctor's doing surgery, there isn't somebody in there trying to undo what they're doing. When you're a lawyer, somebody's always trying to undo what you're doing. So it makes your job very, it's very adversarial. So although doctors are very stressed, lawyers have, it's a different component that you see with lawyers that you don't see really in any other profession. That is a unique insight. And I'm afraid we're out of time. So I'm going to rest on that one because that okay. is some, a way I viewed it before. Thank you so much, Lisa, for appearing you're on welcome. We hope to get you back and I will conscript some law school deans that we can that we can bully. That would be awesome. That would be great. I'd love to talk with them. Thank you very much. That's Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell. Have a good day and don't be too stressed out by life. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.